lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us today, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. That's back up and Adam. Good to see Parlor back. Also, look for Steve Dace on Gab and MeWe. Those are more free speech alternatives uh, to big tech censorship. If you're looking for clips of the show that you can then sample and share with others, we love it when you do that. Go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace or rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. Coming up a little bit later on today, Theology Thursday, we'll continue looking at my most recent book, A Nefarious Carol, the sequel to A Nefarious Plot. We will play three non-political questions as well. But before we get started with all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Accidental Journalism. We'll start with MSNBC, where White House coronavirus advisor Andy Slavitt was cornered on California versus Florida's coronavirus record. California basically in lockdown and their numbers aren't that different from Florida. Well, good morning, Stephanie. Uh, Look, there's so much of this virus that we think we understand, that we think we can predict, that's just beyond a little bit beyond our explanation. What we do know is that the more careful people are, the more they mask and social distance, and the quicker we vaccinate, the quicker it goes away. But, uh, you know, this is, as we all have learned by this time, this is a virus that continues to surprise us. Um, It's very hard to predict. Earlier on the Today Show, Kamala Harris was cornered by Savannah Guthrie. A lot of folks are watching watching say, I can't get my parents a vaccine right now. I can't get a vaccine appointment. States have said they're ready. They've got the infrastructure to give shots, but they don't have the supply. Governors even wrote the White House, Republicans and Democrats, saying we need better coordination from the federal government. So this is on your watch now. What's the holdup? What's the bottleneck? And what's being done about it? We have a vaccine now, and that is great. But we need to get it in the arms of all Americans. And as the president said last night, um, we expect that that will be done um, in terms of having the available supply uh, by the end of July. Checking in on the White House. But he certainly would support a study of reparations. Uh, we understands, uh, understands that we don't need a study to take action right now in systemic racism, so he wants to uh, take actions within his own government in the meantime. Donald Trump went on a few cable news programs last night to discuss the life and legacy of the late Rush Limbaugh. He also talked about whether he's thinking of 2024 yet. We have tremendous support. I won't say yet, but we have tremendous support. And I'm looking at poll numbers that are through the roof. You saw what happened yesterday. We went up. We get. I'm, I'm the only guy gets impeached, and my numbers go up. <laughs> I'm going to figure that one out. He also discussed his banishment from Twitter. And I'll tell you, it's not the same. If you look at what's going on with, uh, if you look at what's going on with Twitter, I understand it's become very boring, and <laughs> millions of people are leaving. They're leaving it because it's not the same, and I can understand that. And uh, so we'll see what happens. We're we're negotiating with a number of people. 
And there's also the other option of building your own. I mean, you can literally build your own set. In New York, Democrat lawmakers are in chaos currently debating whether or not to strip Governor Andrew Cuomo of his emergency powers stemming from his administration's growing nursing home scandal. This comes as news broke late last night that the FBI, along with the U.S. Attorney's Office of Eastern New York, are launching an investigation into Cuomo's handling of the nursing homes amid the pandemic. New York Assemblyman Ron Kim, who's uncle died in a New York nursing home and for months had been one of the lone outspoken Democrat critics of the governor, said he received a phone call from Cuomo after he made a comment to the New York Post about the scandal. Governor Cuomo called me the, late, the next day at 8 p.m. while I was about to bathe my kids. I was with my wife and for 10 minutes uh, he berated me. Uh, he yelled at me. Uh, he told me that, you know, my career will be over. He's been biting his tongue for months against me. And I had tonight, not tomorrow, tonight to issue a new statement, essentially asking me to lie um, and asking me like I, I just I heard and I saw a crime the other day. And he's asking me that I did not see that crime. And, and that was the line that, he, you know, a line that he crossed that, that, that can't be undone. And that's why I had no choice uh, but to come out and, and speak up. The state Senate of Ohio has passed Senate Bill 22, giving lawmakers the authority to repeal Governor Mike DeWine's coronavirus mitigation measures. Facebook announced yesterday it's preventing people inside the country of Australia from accessing news stories on its platform. In addition, Facebook users around the globe are now unable to view or share stories from Australian publishers. This stems from proposed legislation in Australia that would force social media platforms to pay Australian news organizations for for links shared on its site. The NBC News affiliate in Dallas-Fort Worth is reporting winter weatherization inspections for the main electrical authority for the region called ERCOT did not happen as usual this year due to COVID. Instead, they were, quote, virtual tabletop exercises. Actress Bette Midler says the extreme winter weather battering Texas is, quote, unquote, payback for Texas Senators Cruz and Cornyn not previously acknowledging Joe Biden's win in the 2020 election. The United States Marine Corps issued new guidance on military service by transgenders and those with gender dysphoria. Let me repeat that. The United States Marine Corps issued new guidance on military service by transgenders and those with gender dysphoria. The Marines. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee, who teaches us an alternate history lesson. I'm Lyle Mann. And I'm Ethan Pterodactyl. This is a special edition of the Babylon Beetle News Desk, as we're preparing to celebrate the one-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. You probably don't even remember this, but a year ago, we all agreed to lock down, wear masks, and social distance for just two short weeks to slow the spread. And that's exactly what we did. And then life went back to normal, and the rest of 2020 was amazing. Now let's all take a minute to remember all the great things that happened in 2020. President Trump defeated opposing candidate Joe Biden in a landslide, riding on a strong economy and a content, happy populace. Critics panned little-known documentary Tiger King, asking who has time to stay home all day and watch this garbage. The nation reported a bountiful surplus of toilet paper all year long with no shortages to speak of. Dr. Fauci honorably retired after a short two weeks in the spotlight, beloved by Americans on both sides of the aisle. Zoom went out of business, as everyone agreed. Zoom meetings are useless and terrible. Elon Musk is still living in California. Tenet broke all box office records. Gina Carano got a Mandalorian spinoff. People who still wear masks are seen as deranged conspiracy theorists. Depression is at an all-time low. Teachers are teaching. Portland is P. 
peaceful. And everyone has a job. And of course, the aliens of distant planet Graxon 5 made contact with Earth's leaders, granting humanity access to the secrets of the universe. Most notably that... Whoa! Okay, that was really strange. We don't know where that video came from, but uh, must have gotten our broadcast signals crossed with another station or dimension or something. Who knows? And that's what happens while we were away. <laughs> I had not seen that. That is tremendous. That is tremendously well done. And, and perhaps appropriately brought to you by our friends over at Bonner Private Wine, because I think we needed a lot of that to get through the last year. This stuff also, by the way, uh, it just tastes really good. Uh, all three of us have taken a bottle home and given it a shot. Blackberry leather smoke, a little dark cherry, full of flavor, no dyes, no flavor additives, uh, grown and made with vineyards that are miles away from civilization. The result, when you do this in remote vineyards in Argentina, 9,000 feet up in the air uh, is you get inky red wine, rich in flavor. And right now you can give it a shot. All right. Some of, uh, some of the best foreign wine you've ever had. 50% off the shipping today when you go to PatriotWine2021.com. Again, that's PatriotWine2021.com. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, I forgot to mention this, and it's kind of important. The bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to a microbiologist who wrote a piece recently pointing out that there is a statistical revelation recently made by the CDC that is, I, I, I would think, not shocking to any of you, largely gone unreported, that just totally ought to change the way we look at our public policy where COVID-19 is concerned. Yeah, just a trite little thing like that. And we'll get to that guest coming up here at the bottom of the hour. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for that. But let's let's get to Aaron's montage because it's it's there, there, there's a lot there. And frankly, a lot of it's kind of good. As 2021 continues to trend better. In 2020, I'm I'm I like the way this year is trending so far. Um, I, I Marine Corps has new tranny guidelines. The Marine Corps, the Marine Corps. You like it, Steve. You want more of it. So let me just point that out because a lot of the rest of what's in here is good, except that. <laughs> okay. Um, so what's going on here? That's, there's not even just accidental journalism happening in Aaron's montage. There's actually some, dare I say, extraordinary journalism happening. I mean, that, that Joe Scarborough clip, and you can, you can kind of tell when a bully is done when nobody abides by his threats any longer, right? So this guy gets a threat from Andrew Cuomo, and the next morning he's on MSNBC, the lead station for their ilk, on the morning show, on Morning Joe, saying, yeah, he's out there threatening me. But, see, I, I don't believe if Donald Trump had been reelected, I don't believe... Everything else is still true. Everything else is true. Everything else is true. But Donald Trump got reelected. I don't believe there's any way, shape, or form that clip airs on Morning Joe this morning. You are correct. No way, no how. No way, no how. 
Donald Trump gets reelected. And that's pick whoever is now speaking for the White House when it comes to COVID. There's no way when they appear on the Today Show. They're getting pressured from the media on why aren't we reopening things faster. No way that happens. Nope. No way. So I think there's there's two lessons that I think we need to learn from this. Steve, are you saying that we're better off if the people we prefer never win elections again? No. No. And I know we tend to jump from one, one extreme to the other here, right? No. Um, I mean, I, I made every effort I could last year behind the scenes with people I know, which you heard me do on this show. Once it became apparent what the, the Democratic Party was going to run on, I, I made every effort that I could last year to support Donald Trump get, getting reelected. And frankly, I felt like at times I supported it more than he did. If I'm being brutally honest here. So, so, so no, I, I would have preferred that he won the election. But there's a couple of lessons I think we need to learn here. And I think it's important because I, one of the things I think we can say to Trump's credit is that I think he brought a lot of new people to the process. Not necessarily voters, but that's not what I mean. Not new people to the voting process, but the, to, to the daily grind of the political process. The narrative back and forthing. The, the back and forth, you know, hand, you know, Cold War, hand grenades, posturing, right? I, I think when you look at all of our numbers on both sides, when you look at all of our numbers, our clicks, our ratings, there is no question that Donald J. Trump brought more people to the day-to-day process outside of what goes on on election day when we have to make a choice. And then you watch the State of the Union address. And then maybe you watch a convention, the convention speech of the nominee. Then maybe you watch a debate or two and consider yourself pretty informed. And then you're an American. You got a busy life after that, right? Yeah. I mean, the day-to-day stuff. All of our numbers, all of our clicks, all of our ratings, all of our downloads on every side, from Fox to CNN to MSNBC to The Blaze to Vox, just doesn't matter. He made them all bigger. And so I I think there's a lot of people now that are engaged with with an intensity level that they didn't before. And so there's some lessons here that we haven't, that we used to know and we haven't had the luxury of watching play out. There's a few things I want to point out. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And God is sovereign whether Donald Trump wins or loses, whether there's a United States of America or if there is not. And a holy God is not going to let the likes of Andrew Cuomo avoid facing his sins 
given what he's guilty of. Now, that doesn't mean this side of heaven, we're going to watch him do a perp walk. I'd I'd like to see him strapped into a chair and then they flip a switch because I think that's what he deserves. That's what we give to first degree murderers in my worldview. Preconceived murder, premeditated murder, that's what we do. Particularly when we're talking thousands of people. We may see it, I don't know. But see, we have a tendency to see the sovereignty of God through the, the prism of whether the outcome that we think is best occurred. But at the very least, if you never see a perp walk, if you don't even see him resign, if you just see a, a, a guy who's very, very damaged politically, finishes out a term in disgrace and then lives out a life of obscurity. Who knows? But a sovereign God is not going to let somebody get away with something like that. Those sorts of things will be revealed. That's number one. And I think it's important to make that lesson number one because elections are vitally important. I'm not, I'm not here to dissuade, given what I do for a living, what puts food on my table. Most people first heard about me because of my ability to influence, or perceived ability, I should say, my perceived ability to influence the outcome of certain elections, correct? Yes. Yeah. So it'd be kind of stupid for me to stand up here and say, eh, they don't matter. Then I wouldn't be here if they didn't matter, right? Right. Right. We wouldn't continue doing this every day if the outcomes of elections did not matter. Did I say they didn't matter? Nope. I said they were, I even said they were vitally important, right? Yeah. But are they of preeminent importance? Never. No, they're not. Was there justice in this world before the United States Constitution? Yes. Will there be justice in this world after it's gone? I pray Hell, yes. It might be gone now for all we know. Yeah. Because was there a God in heaven reigning on a throne before 1776? Alpha and Omega. Yeah. Always. And he'll be here after... 2026 or whenever we decide to assume room temperature down here in these 50 no longer United States. Because that's true. That's actually the premise for why this country exists in the first that's place. Exactly the only right. one founded on a creed as that, you that, often that, tell that, that is exactly right. So why is a lot of this truth coming out? There are political machinations taking place. We're going to get to those in a second. But I don't want us to miss the, the, the top line here of our Google. Alexa, why are these truths that we could never get told before suddenly coming out? Let me give you the, the number one top line result that Alexa won't share with you. The one I just gave you. Because there's a sovereign God. And he, the master, settles accounts. May not happen in the timetable you and I prefer. And then it may happen to us in the timetable we prefer did not. <laughs> All right. But he will settle accounts. People like this are always found out. Always. That's number one. Okay. Don't ever lose sight of that. Because if you're new to this process, we want you to maintain the, the, the intensity of interest you have. That's how we do self-governing. We cannot afford for you to go back, fire up the Pink Floyd comfortably. Hello. Can't, we can't do that. We, 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 we're not going to survive as a people if we do that. So we, we need you to maintain the intensity level of interest you have in what's going on. But don't let it overcome you. See, it's a, 
It's a weird balance. I'm not always good at it myself, particularly when you do this every day. All right. Um, but it's a weird balance. It ha- it's vitally important, but do not make it preeminently important. Otherwise, it overcomes you. It becomes an idol. You start treating terrible politicians with more grace than your own kids. We've seen stuff like this in our careers, right? You start explaining things away. Is the future impacted by whether or not the politicians you prefer win elections? Yeah. Yeah. Is the future determined by whether or not the politicians you prefer win? No. And that's the difference between vitally and preeminently important. Don't forget there's a God. That's number one. And he is just. And he will punish people like this. And he doesn't need the FBI to do it. Number two, though, now that we've that's the meta, that's the meta that's going on. So let's bring it down to more of a, a finite temporal level that we better understand here in the shallow end of the existential pool where human beings reside. All right. Where our rags, uh, where all of our attempts at righteousness are filthy rags compared to his him on his worst day. Let's bring it down here to where the plankton live. OK, there's there's because. We understand that the reason Jesus is sitting on that cross is to fulfill the law and wrath of God, the Father. But that's not what the Romans thought, right? They didn't think that. The Jewish community that was split over whether he was Messiah or not, they didn't really. If they, if they, dis, if they, if they thought that's what's going on, they would have saw him as Messiah, sure. right? They didn't think that was going on. They had another view of it. And so that's why they didn't, they didn't see the complexity of the grand scheme that was taking place with this lowly shepherd dude uh, or lowly carpenter dude from Nazareth, right? So in the minds of, 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 of the worldly forces we're up against, like the, the Andrew Cuomo get up this morning and think, you know what? I really should have repented for this a long time ago. And now, now, I mean, now I got God on my back and I'm in trouble. Is that what Andrew Cuomo was thinking? Probably think not. So. Probably not. Probably not. So. What Andrew Cuomo is thinking is, hey, this guy's a rat. And what do, you, what, what, what do we do with rats, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that intellectual gene pool, what you're seeing here is why the people we support have to be really good at this. Not just right on the issues, not even just able to win an election. Donald Trump did 50 wrong things in the 2016 election. He should not have won. He flailed at the debates. And he ends up pulling it out by less than 80,000 votes in the four most determinative states. That is, as I used to say after the election, that is akin to finding out this is your last check at your job. You've been you're you're you've been laid off. The plant is closing. You were living paycheck to paycheck, and you went home and you and the missus decided to hop a plane to Vegas and just take that last check and put it all on black once and see if that might pay your bills forever. And it hit. All right. That that can't you could not concoct a plan. How do we win this by seventy eight thousand votes? You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. It's impossible. The people that we whether it's George W. Bush's inability to push back on Cindy Sheehan and the entire media that projected Iraq as a quagmire 
10 minutes after the Saddam statue fell, it became a quagmire. We all celebrated that. And then the quagmire narrative began 10 minutes after that. And he could just never overcome that. And then eventually it did become a quagmire, but it was too late. His inability to push back on TARP. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So I'm uh, suspending the free market to uh, principles to support the free, right? Okay. Um, the day after he puts out a proposal for how to reopen the country, Trump then takes to the White House for the next two days and trashes the Georgia governor who was the most aggressive in pursuing the proposal he had just given. See, these are things... I, I I don't I, when I say though that too often we give excuses for why our guys can't do stuff. It's just lame excuses. That doesn't mean I don't believe there aren't any excuses. It's just often our excuses are just be a, a, a total complete f up, and it's okay because media bias. No, it's not okay. We're gonna lose the damn country. It's not okay. You have to be good at this. You have to be good at this. And you got to be able to, to be good at this. Here's what I mean. Not just can you destroy the other side's narrative. Trump is Yoda. He's a Jedi master at destroying their narratives. One of the best I've ever seen. And that's his greatest political gift on top of. And that, see, that's why he's able to get his enemies to expose themselves for, for how terrible they are. Because of how good he is at destroying their narratives. What he was awful at as a president was crafting the replacement narrative. So he just kept going back to the well of, let's go back to hand-to-hand -hand combat over and over and over and over again. Let me pick fights with the media the public already doesn't trust over and over and over again. So toxic times toxic, Todd, what do you get? That's just more toxic. And since I can't vote against all of the media, I can't project on every writer at the Washington Post whose names I don't know. I can't project my frustration on them. Whom do I project the frustration upon? The singular figure whose name I do know, right? Yes. Donald Trump. If we're going to get if we're going to save this country peaceably through the political process. We need to find people who can do what he did in crushing their narratives, but then can also craft, what's the alternative vision for the country then? What is it? What are we doing instead? Don't just curse the darkness. That's right. Light a That's exactly right. Yes. Because with him removed, here's the, here's the third lesson here. With him removed, what you're finding they can't, none, none, none's a tough position, a tough call to make. But since I've done probably more hits on a panel in liberal media than almost anybody in our industry has in the last 10 years, probably, I'm confident saying it. When I say this, this isn't just me in my bunker and I'm just pontificating as I watch clips of the of the other side and and I I ethereal through the ethereal don't believe I think they're full of bunk. I've actually walked on their sets. I've been outnumbered three, four on one if you count the damn host. You've seen the clips. Yeah. I've done it dozens and dozens of times. There's no there there. There isn't a, there, there's not a defensible belief system there. That's why they call so many names. That's why it's all emotion. They can't defend these views. The American people are not to the, as far to the right as we would like. They're nowhere near where these people are, though. They're not.
That's why they that's why they have to turn to Bush derangement syndrome, Palin derangement syndrome, Trump derangement syndrome. They have to stir up this level of negativity of the people who represent you and I because they can't win an objective argument. And when you remove that 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 vehicle, that channel for all that negative energy, and now they now have to fill this space. They now don't just get to pontificate how terrible Bush is, how terrible Palin is, how terrible Trump is. They now have to fill the remaining space with those people gone. They have to fill the remaining space with their affirmative beliefs. They can't do it. They're trying to get rid of Andrew Cuomo because he's crushing them. He's blowing up all of their narratives. The media is incredulous when they saw what the CDC director came out with last week because they know they can't sell that. No one's dumb enough to believe that. That already isn't wearing a seventh mask. Everybody knows that's bad. You can't defend that. And so the media is essentially doing to Democrats what I've done to Republicans in the past. Challenge them to their face, because if you stay on this road, we're getting our asses kicked in the next election. We're losing bad. I'm trying to wake you up. This will lose. This will lose. I talk to more of your voters than you do. Trust me, this will lose. That is what Savannah Guthrie's doing. I've seen that tone of voice. I've seen that level of angst. I've communicated it. How many times to Republicans? That's why they don't come on the show anymore. And I wish I could tell you there was a time or two I was wrong. Every time, I was right. We're going to lose. You know why I was right? Not because I'm a prophet, but because I talk to more of their voters than they do. So number one, there's a God. Number two, find candidates who are good at this. And then number three, their arguments are so bad. Their beliefs are so bad that if our candidates are good at this, we should never lose to them. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. And of course, we have been following closely, uh, documenting, researching in depth everything we could find on COVID-19, well, since about this time last year, because we are about to commemorate exactly one year, the one year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. Now, we have looked at this from a public policy perspective. As I said from the very beginning, I'm not a scientist. Um, I am, though, a political analyst, one who's been paid well for my ability to analyze data, determine uh, the uh, the soundness of public policies, uh, political narratives in response to that data, things of that nature. So I put that to use over the last year. And the public policy that we have conducted here in the West and really around much of the world has been around two things. Number one, the idea that this is a novel coronavirus. Therefore, does it have unknown characteristics? Um, Does it behave in manners previously unforeseen and documented uh, in the annals of uh, immunology, biology, and virology? And so let's be cautious because we don't know the answer to that. And then number two, the concerns over asymptomatic spread. 
that scores and scores of healthy people would carry the virus, not know it, um, pick it up in mass gatherings or even in moderately sized ones, and then take it home, infect the elderly, those with diabetes, autoimmune, some of the the key pre-existing conditions that this virus unfortunately really likes to go after and target, and thus end up uh, playing a role in potentially killing people. Those fears, that is, if you take all of this at face value, don't assume it's uh, for any political reasons or any kind of a psyop or any of those notions. If you just want to assume that this has all been about healthcare and healthcare from a public policy perspective, those have been the two main premises we have been dealing with that have explained a lot of the mitigation attempts we've been wrestling with here for the last going on now 11 months. And that's why we want to talk today with Dr. Alex Berzo with the American Council of Science and Health. He's a member of the USA Today Board of Contributors. Uh, he's a PhD microbiologist. He recently wrote a piece over there on the website uh, for the ACSH, and we welcome him here to Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Alex, it's good to have you with us. Are you, how are you doing, brother? Uh, thank you. Likewise. So uh, this is where I'm, I, I want to I want to defer to you now, the scientist. Did I uh, did I, in your view, adequately explain the the intersection here between the science and the public policy and the key premises that we are dealing with in determining which policy to to deploy? Uh, for certain, the public health response has been one based on uncertainty and uh, an overabundance of caution and trying to minimize the number of infections and deaths. Uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, the the economic impact and the social impact and the and the health effects that result from economic uh, declines and social isolation have not been uh, a primary concern of uh, public health officials or politicians, and I think that that part has been, that negligence on that um, in that policy has been a, a dire mistake. One of the things that has frustrated me is when I first went down the road, and I'm just a natural contrarian anyway. I'm not big on just kind of accepting group think narratives. And so it's just I'm just prone to question things like, hey, we got this uh, model from Imperial College in London and uh, it says all these people are going to millions and millions and millions of Americans will die if we don't do these four, five, six, seven things. And then the next day, epidemiologists at Oxford University come out and say, we think that thing's like complete crap. I'm going to be the guy kind of inclined to say, well, should we like hear what both of these sides have to say before we just take this one view and run with it? When I first started doing this, Alex, I thought really that this was going to be a proxy fight for global warming and that this would be the Steve Day shows and Breitbart's of the world against all the science academies. And I've been shocked at how many people that that probably also think uh, differently than I do about the origins of, of, of humanity and the universe, how many genders there are and when does life begin, have really struggled with the way science has been utilized in this almost from the beginning, that there have been accredited, acclaimed people from uh, elite institutions all over the world that have been like, yeah, we're not so sure about this. Well, as you point out in your piece that you wrote 
about this latest CDC data we're going to talk about. If you want to be a, a practice abundance of caution at this time last year, I, you know, I fine. All right, I think we can find the grace for that. But my great frustration has been as real time data has come in. There's just been like a refusal to follow it in, in several of these policy making circles. For example, which you point out about what the, CF, what the CDC's latest estimate is about how many people have actually been infected with coronavirus. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, the latest estimate from the CDC is 83 million. And so the um, the official count when I did this article was around 27 million. I'm sure it's higher than that now. Uh, but but what the CDC does, and they do the same thing with influenza, um, they they do these surveys across the country they look at what you know patterns of infection and they try to extrapolate the real number of infections they think have occurred and the number is 83 million now when i saw that number immediately the first thing that came to mind was well the lockdown didn't really work as intended right i mean the whole point of the lockdown was as you mentioned at the beginning of the segment flatten the curve which what they meant was prevent you know, a, an explosive number of new infections, but that seemed to have happened largely anyway. Now, as you also correctly said, I think that for the first several months of the pandemic, a lockdown probably made sense when people were panicking and places like New York City were watching people die left and right. It made sense to do something looking like what we did. But as the months dragged on, uh, and then I, you know, I'm out here in Washington State, we had another lockdown that went from mid-November to, to just recently, just lifted just recently. That made no sense whatsoever. Uh, by then, we knew who the most vulnerable people were. We knew that uh, young people are, are, you know, if you're going to get infected, it's not likely to cause serious uh, complications. You're certainly not going to die, most likely. Uh, and so that the people that we needed to protect were 65 and older. And yet we locked down all of society, all of it. And uh, I think that's really a very misguided policy at this point. So 83 million infections. And we want to get, you know, uh, my understanding is you really want to know the infection fatality rate more so than a case fatality rate from a public policy perspective. If I'm treating patients, the case fatality rate is what I'm concerned about. But from a public policy perspective, when I'm making mass population decisions based on a, a public health scare, I really need to know what an infection fatality rate is. When you do the math on that, you come out to 0.5%. If we knew going in that the IFR for COVID-19 was zero point, and that's, by the way, that's a median number. That, that's, we're not factoring in pre-existing conditions, the elderly, just across the board, 0.5%. When, when you just do simple math, you divide the amount of infections by the amount of deaths, you get an infection fatality rate of 0.5%. If we knew that last March, would we have done any form of a lockdown for 0.5%? Hard to say because that's still deadlier than the flu. Sure, uh, by by several, uh, at least five five to ten times, probably deadlier than the flu. So it's possible, but uh, I don't know if we would have had the same panic if we'd known ahead of time this is what we were going to be dealing with. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you that in retrospect, many of these policies seem to be overreactions. So we now know what have a, a handle on the IFR. We have therapeutics, we have vaccines. 
outside of vulnerable vulnerable populations. And hey, I'm a big sports guy. I'm not saying, hey, let's throw 25,000 people over there in Columbus for my Wolverines taking on the Buckeyes on Sunday, okay? But I don't know why the thing has to be totally empty though either, okay? If we have therapeutics, we have vaccines, we don't we're giving ventilators away. Um, we know what the IFR is. Why are we doing any of this then on a corporate level at this point anywhere? Yeah, it, it makes less sense. Um, I can tell you here in the Seattle area where I'm where I'm at, uh, restaurants are still like at 25 percent capacity or something like that. And it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I, I don't think maybe I don't think 100 percent capacity is probably appropriate yet. Um, but I, everywhere I'm going, it's pretty much empty. And I'm thinking, boy, what a shame, uh, because businesses are struggling out here. We've lost about 25 percent. I believe 20, 25% of our businesses in Seattle, restaurants in Seattle have permanently closed down. And so we have had, um, you know, a tremendous economic impact, especially on small business owners. Uh, depression and anxiety have soared throughout the country, um, which makes obvious you know, makes obvious sense. If you tell people that everyone's going to die of coronavirus mm-hmm. and you're not going to see any of your friends for months at a time, of course, depression and anxiety are going to increase. That was a predictable outcome. And so a lot of these things were just not sufficiently considered, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I, I think it's really time for most places to that, that are still having strict regulations to, to start loosening up a bit. I mean, the other night in this town hall, the president said to a little girl, you know, children don't typically aren't typically harmed by the virus, sweetie, or something to a little girl at a then why aren't the schools open then? If that's I mean, that these things aren't congruent with one another. Now, I know some people are going to say then, well, you're still not accounting for the asymptomatic factor. That could be a lot of those infections, right? Well, this is the this is the the rest of the story of what you uncovered. What percentage of those 83 million infections are asymptomatic, Alex? If if the CDC numbers are correct, uh, we're looking at about a 15 percent asymptomatic rate. So most people who get get uh, coronavirus have some sort of symptoms, and it, they may not be much. They could be just minor symptoms because, like, when you get a cold, you don't necessarily get a bad cold. You might just have the sniffles for a day or two. But it seems that everybody has 85% of people get some sort of symptoms. The the question about whether or not we should open schools essentially comes down to what causes less harm. Is it less harmful to have kids in school or is it less harmful to have them sitting at home with their parents? And I think the answer is that it's less harmful to have them in school. That's where they need to be. They need to be socializing. They need to be learning. We're, We're preventing the development, the social and educational development of our children. And, uh, I think that's a bigger threat to their long-term health than uh, than coronavirus. But I think it's most of the teachers' unions that are uh, they're blocking blocking schools anyway. It's 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 not public health officials at this point. Let's not go back and relitigate. I've done tons of shows, articles. Uh, programs on what was, what's gone on for the last 10 months. We, we can't undo any of that. And we can all argue about what we think about past efforts and whether they worked or not. But in light of what we, what we can do is fix what's going on right now, today, February the 18th. On February the 18th, we know, because we've also got studies from all over the world that show in other places, asymptomatic spread is in the single digits. So the asymptomatic fears largely overblown from what we thought we were what we were afraid of last year that we didn't know yet. Now we know, largely overblown.
We know it. The true IFR for the infection fatality, or what the what a, what a more accurate IFR for this is. We have therapeutics. We have more awareness, more research. We have vaccines. Today, February the eighteenth, two thousand and twenty. Why are we still having conversations like it's in many places, March, April twentieth of two thousand and twenty a year ago? Why still? Right. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And if I were in charge of things, um, society would be a lot more, you know, I don't know what it's like in North Dakota or South Dakota, but here in Washington state, I can tell you if I was running things, society would be looking a lot more like normal, like it was, uh, you know, a year ago. And um, what I would suggest and perhaps even require is that people who have comorbidities, people who are 65 and older, maybe order those people to stay home. It, It no longer makes sense to order all of society to to stay home now thankfully here in washington state that that restriction's been loosened but um the idea that uh shutting down all of society is the best way to to prevent a pandemic i think i think we've proven that now this is actually not a very good idea and so if we're going to force people to stay home force the ones who are the most vulnerable the sickest the people who are likeliest to die force them to stay home uh force nursing homes and long-term health care facilities to, to to have very strict uh, regulations on who can come in, who can go out. So I think that that's a, a more a more targeted lockdown makes sense. Uh, and, and I hope we learn that lesson for next time. Alex Berzow, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. All right. Take care. Thanks. You bet. Uh, you can read Alex's article, by the way, at ACSH.org. That's uh, ACSH for the American Council of Science and Health. And also, if you look at my social media feeds uh, over the last few days, uh, you go down through there, you'll see those linked there uh, as well. Hey, if you're struggling with inflammation, not not an injury, if you've got pain because you're injured, go see a doctor. But if we're talking about uh, those sore joints, aching back, knees, neck, uh, shoulders. It's a left hip flexor for me. Uh, whatever that is, chances are it's the inflammation that is causing your pain. And that's why you want to take a look at the product that I use called Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. Omega XL does more than those topical creams, those pain relievers. They can help mask those symptoms. But Omega XL will neutralize uh, the inflammation that's the cause of those painful, st- stiff joints and muscles in the first place. And if you want to give it a shot, see if it doesn't work for you like it works for me, uh, we can get you started with buy one, get one free right now at OmegaXL.com. That's OmegaXL.com. Buy one, get one free right now when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's my name. OmegaXL.com slash Steve or give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Just to reset the conversation we had with uh, Alex Berzow um, from the American Council on Science and Health. I, I think, and I got to thinking about this the last couple of days. We can't go back and undo what happened last year. It, it, it's done now. It's done. And, and But we have all the data we didn't have a year ago, we have now. All the certainty of knowledge we didn't have a year ago, we have now. We try to go back and relitigate what happened last year. We're going to run into conversations about, well, maybe this was justified for a time, or maybe we didn't know. Give people a break. Show grace. It was unprecedented. Fine. But we know a lot of the things that we didn't know back then. We know them now. So why today, February the 18th, 
are we behaving like it's March 18th or April 18th of last year? It's a completely indefensible position. That's where we need to take the conversation, in my view. More in a moment. And greetings back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor. Look for Steve Dace in all of those places. You can like and follow. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And then if you're looking for clips of the program that you can sample yourself and then we hope share with others to help get the word out, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace, including the interview you just heard with Alex Berzow, PhD microbiologist at the American Council on Science and Health. We're going to break that out as a separate interview on our social medias later today so that you can share that with people. You this this information needs to be known. Okay? It, it's not last year now. We're not there's not we don't have the election, orange man bad, panic. We don't know where just let's all just take a deep breath. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. Let's put down the cultural crack pipe. And let's just go, here's what we know. Even by CDC's infection estimates, which by the way, I didn't get into this with Alex, they're too low. It's even far more than 83 million people have been infected. How do we know? Because every antibody study we've done all over the country has shown the infection rate is higher than that. And every population they've tested. So it's it's, it's even lower than 0.5. But we'll just go with that. That's fine. That still shows it's not worth this the civilization cost we're paying. Especially because a year in now, we know who's vulnerable and who's not. We know who can be secured and who can't. We know all the we know pretty much everything now that we need to know from a public policy standpoint. None of this is necessary any longer. We don't have to do any of this anymore. At least not the, the fundamental and, and most stringent aspects of it. It's flat earth voodoo is what it is. Or junk science, as Alex would say, because that's one of the things he does at the American Council on Science and Health, is debunk junk science. That's what this is. It's junk science or voodoo, flat earth. We don't have to do this. That's why we're going to put that interview out for free on all of our socials. You can share it today. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. 15%. Which, by the way, that's high compared to what the rest of the world is showing of asymptomatic infections. But do you remember who, who told us in the beginning that asymptomatic spread is not really a fear, that there's never really been, ever, in the history of outbreaks, an outbreak driven by asymptomatic spread. Somebody who is recognized by many as a renowned expert on this subject told us this actually about eh, more than one year ago. Do you remember who that was? Do you guys remember who told us that? Oh, yeah. 
Was that Fauci? Anthony Fauci told us that. Last January, I think it was January 28th or something, told us that. And the CDC's own data verifies it. Well, Steve, how do you reconcile their school recommendations with that data? I don't have to reconcile it. They do. It doesn't reconcile. It doesn't reconcile. That's why we need to get this information out there. This needs to stop. Folks, it is possible 21 people froze to death in Texas this week. I think that's the latest number I saw. Wasn't it 21? I haven't I seen it. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Okay. It's possible 21 people and counting froze to death in Texas this week because of ridiculous fear over that kind of those kinds of numbers led the company overseeing the power grid to not actually physically inspect its wares but just do a virtual one instead this is insane we can't change what happened last june and july we can't we can't do any of that We can damn well change what happens tomorrow on February 19th, though. We can change that. And that needs to be our focus. Stop it. This needs to stop now. We have the data. Stop. We know it works. We know it does not. It's so obvious. MSNBC is cornering poor Andy Slavitt, who thought he was just going to go on there to get his belly rubbed and got before she even said hello it doesn't make any sense. California's all locked down. Florida's not. They got basically the same results. And Andy's like, well, good morning. Okay. <laughs> that literally happened. This needs to stop now. We have all the data. We don't, we, we, enough. Enough. I'm not even going to argue this anymore. It's inarguable. It would be like debating, is the earth flat? What's, what's, is it, what's pi? What's, what, it, does gravity exist? It, what, what's the, where's wa- where, what's the f- periodic formula for water? No. We have the facts. Stop. Enough kids blowing their brains out on a Zoom call. Enough people freezing to death in Texas because we wouldn't dare inspect our own materials to make sure they're safe just in case. Stop, 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 stop. And maybe, just maybe, if we're in a world where whoever the hell that was on MSNBC, because I don't really know any other people other than Joy Reid, because she shows them in my feed 80 million times, shared by my peers on the right, and Savannah Guthrie, if we can live just for a minute, pretend we were once a unified country, where Steve Dace and Savannah Guthrie can be like, okay, I'm calling on this. Enough. Enough. And then when this is done, we can go back to killing each other over the 15 things we were slicing each other's throats about before. This is insane. Enough. Stop it. Done. We're moving on. This is dumb. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, 
podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button if you wouldn't mind. Uh, the more of you that do that, the more it helps the podcast to grow. Thousands of you have done that for us, and we greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Theology Thursday brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. I've got some great news to share about Patriot Mobile. They've just expanded their coverage dramatically, which is going to make it easier for even more Americans to dump those big name carriers who charge way too much anyway, while donating your money to leftists. You can partner with Patriot Mobile because they never send a penny to the left and they will never silence you. Uh, plus, you can switch with confidence. Use the same network as the larger providers, but they charge you much less. Switching is easy. Keep your phone number. Bring your own phone. Buy a new one if you'd like. Build your own bundle with multi-line discounts and save even more. There's so many different options out there. So just go to PatriotMobile.com Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com Steve. Or you can call their U.S.-based customer service team yourself at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. This month, get a free premiere activation where they set up the phone for you and a special gift when you use my name, Steve, as your offer code at PatriotMobile.com slash Steve or call them at 972-PATRIOT. All right, let's continue. Theology Thursday, looking at my new book, A Nefarious Carol. Get an autographed copy if you'd like. Available right now via Premier Collectibles. Uh, the link for that is pinned at the top of my Facebook and Twitter accounts if you want to click on that. Uh, or if you don't care about my autograph, which you shouldn't, uh, then go to Amazon.com and get your copy of A Nefarious Carol today. The audible version performed by my oldest daughter and I. Uh, or you can get the ebook uh, or the hardcover, whichever you prefer. The sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious plot and in this book now that the enemy is taking lord nefarious at his word that he has successfully taken down america the devil has decided to come out of the shadows launch the next and final stage of his master plan for dominion by using america as the launching pad for that effort and he has revealed himself now as we discussed in the last chapter he has revealed himself now to a scared young woman named ray alone in a motel one night on the run from an abusive drug-dealing boyfriend, estranged from her family, awash in all forms of dysfunction and hypocrisy. She feels like she has nowhere to go. She's all alone. And the enemy thinks, this is the mark. But remember, he can't lie to her. If he does, the ritual will not be successful. She has to freely offer herself to the devil. And so now he begins the first phase of the cell. By taking Ray, emulating her favorite book, A Christmas Carol, from when she was a little girl, where the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future come to visit Ebenezer Scrooge. And he takes Ray to her past to help her to find meaning and help her to understand how she ended up where she is right now at this point, this low point in her life. And it is indeed a low point, but remember, one of the things we discussed at the end of the last chapter is that the, the devil realizes she's got some game. She, she's got some street smarts. Uh, she just can't be played that easily. She's got some fight to her. So he's going to have to, as Steve just said about politicians, you got to be good at this. So he's got, he spends this chapter breaking her down to build her back up. Mm -hmm. And here's how, uh, what I find fascinating about how he does this. He takes her back to the past when she's a little girl. And, well, are we... 
Are there any spoiler alerts? Are we done? Well, just, now that we're in the book, I just want to make every, sure it's a spoiler alert every week now. Okay. Yes. Yep. That uh, she uh, was the one who discovered her grandma's uh, lifeless body after she uh, committed suicide, and she, as a very very young tricycle riding girl, and had and as an adult, had it, this had been suppressed, uh, she had no idea it happened. Now she goes from all of that strength and assertiveness to just being a pop stop 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 but the devil says yeah we i don't do rain checks as as one of your lines in this thing so it keeps going but by the end of the keeps going she is basically uh doctor uh uh doctor strange tell me everything Mm -hmm. and he uses two things to make that conversion in her and I want you to tell us why you chose this, especially considering what you just said. He can't lie. So why aren't these lies? He says, A, he convictims, he convinces her that she's a victim. Now, we know, true or false, the power of victimology in mm-hmm. this culture. Mm-hmm. So, A, I want you to talk about why that's a play he needed to make. And B, he says, that being said, speaking of the Avengers once again, he basically goes Loki and he says... You as this is why the people you were meant. This is my language, but I'm. You were basically he gives a you were meant to be ruled speech. As a people, you're just you're all rabble and broken. But it can be better if you acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Why are those the two approaches that he took to breaking her down? So what the enemy does, since he cannot lie to her, he. He doesn't tell her the truth from a certain point of view. He, remember what Jesus said about the devil. Uh, he's the father of lies. That, that he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a lie incarnate, basically. He's deception incarnate. That uh, he was a liar from the beginning. So even if he's honest with you, it's still, it's still a deception. Because... He cannot come to a place of objective truth because it would force him. It it would force. He wouldn't be a fallen angel. He wouldn't any be longer. a fallen angel. It would it would force him to repent. Yeah, exactly. Yes. This is why. This is this is why he understands we as a species tend to accept the truth not on the basis of whether it's true but whether or not the outcome of acknowledging that truth is the preference the the, the preferred outcome or not and if it's not the preferred outcome then it's not true no matter how much evidence you put in front of us it's not true are we not seeing this right now with covid six masks seven masks eight one year uh, to celebrate two weeks to flatten the curve New Zealand was getting celebrated by that former basketball star who's turned into cat picture share cultural commentator Rex Chapman was just getting celebrated. New Zealand was last week. Well, like how their lockdown worked. They're back in a lockdown this week. You know why they're in a lockdown this week? They got three cases. Three. For three cases, they went back into lockdown for three. This is insane. It's absolutely insane. I've got a graphic up on a couple of my social media pages right now of where the UK's case count has gone in the last month plus since the discovery of the UK variant. It, the cases in the UK have plummeted 
I believe yesterday, Boris Johnson like outlawed like all gatherings. This is insane. It's insane. You know why? Because if Boris Johnson opens the UK back up, what has he just admitted? That a lot of what he did this last year was dumb. Didn't work. Insane. How many people in positions of authority are willing to admit mistakes? I mean, if we're going to be brutally honest, the guy that a lot of us wanted to win the last election once famously said, I know I was there when he said it. I was feet away from him when he said it. That he's never asked God for forgiveness because he's never really done anything wrong. I heard him say it with my own eyes or ears. Saw him say it with my own eyes. It's just, you know, humility, meekness. It's in short supply in this species. So, so both of these things, though, are true. It is true that Ray is a victim. It is true. Her parents' failure to model to her and show her integrity victimized her. Now, what is integrity? It's not perfection. It's consistency. You know, it's the line from, the, from Batman Begins, why do we fall so we can get back up? My kids have seen me fall numerous times. Numerous. Thankfully, though, they've seen me get back up every time. And I think if they were all here today and you put the Wonder Woman lasso of truth on all three of them, they would say sometimes you think the old man is nuts. Now that they're all teenagers, one of them just turned 20, they're, they're all figuring out whether they think the stuff they heard from their old man growing up when they were little kids that they took at face value, now that they're interacting with the world now, um, as teenagers and adults, they're figuring out if they think that stuff is true on their own or not, right? But do they respect that whatever I did, I did for them, and whatever I said, I said out of love and concern for them? I really believe that they would say yes because they saw consistency. When I was wrong, sometimes you had to prove it to me, but if you could, I would admit it. I did my best to own up to my flaws when they were young from the very beginning. So that they would see daddy is accountable to the same things he's making us accountable to. Ray's parents failed to do that. They put up an image, a Pleasant Valley Sunday, a perfect little Christian home that was anything but. When she got old enough to call BS, she did. They had no answers. She rebelled. Her rebellion is a byproduct of the failure of her parents. They failed her. They drove her to it. So she's a victim. Her natural inclination since she was a little girl was to believe in the earnestness and altruism of her parents. When the time came that she could understand what those words meant and her parents could not meet that standard, she was victimized by that. She's certainly a victim of her drug-dealing, abusive boyfriend, right? So it's true that she's a victim. We oppose victimology. We support we shelter, offer grace, and restore victims. There's a difference. The enemy wants her to find power in her victim, in her victim status. 
Christianity offers you victory over your victim status. It's one of the reasons why we have to forgive. We're not forgiving people that didn't do anything to us. We're forgiving people that did that victimized us, right? Yeah. He's offering what he's offering her, what he's telling her is true. It's just warped. It's insu- it's 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 insufficient. It's the best he can do given who he is. And the same thing applies with the other question you asked me. This is his variation of the sheep need a shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I am the good shepherd. Enter through the narrow gate. This is his version of this, his variation of this. All right. Now, but notice he's not he's not given anarchy, chaos, no, nihilism. No. He's quite the contrary. No, because just like just like the spirit of the age unleashed postmodernism with all of its nihilism, it never intended for that to be a permanent fixture. It did that to undo the Judeo-Christian foundation of the culture so that once that was done, it was then free to introduce its new, its replacement, which is what you're undergoing right now. The, the spirit of the age said, all right, we let the locust out. They did their job. Now it's time for our version of an urban renewal program. Here's what our version of a revival looks like. And that's what he is doing, what he did. He unleashed amorality and chaos in order to bring the world to the brink that it's at now so that he can then justify offering a new world order. I think it is incredibly powerful that when you talk about how the uh, grandfather, who is the one who came in and discovered his granddaughter uh, witnessing the the death of his, his wife, how he ultimately reacted to that in the aftermath. His marriage was a roller coaster of highs and lows, contributed to the depression uh, of his wife, who had her own backstory even before she met her husband. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, generation after generation. This is a common, common theme. But there's a lesson about idolatry because he, he vows to become a better man. And he does in many ways because he wants to be there for his granddaughter, mm-hmm. Ray. But that love turns into a level of obsession that can then continues to cascade and cause problems with his own son, uh, Ray's father, uh, Ray's mother, because mm-hmm. of how she sees how this that, relationship that, is it. replacing so, her yes the point being and I, I it's i don't it's it's kind of subtle but i think it's so powerful i when we think of idolatry we often think of like cheap sex things like that you talk about with guys playing video games too much and stuff like that the worst kind of idolatry is is the most powerful kind in terms of how it can ruin is the genuine goods undeniable goods what mm-hmm. he changed himself for the good mm-hmm. but it went so far into a level of over the tops he couldn't see anything else it's the woman that it's the woman that serves on every church committee yes. for years and years and years but never but never really answered the call to lay her own sins down at the cross so she keeps the reason she's doing this is it makes her feel good like she's making up for the things she regrets in her life when she doesn't lay those sins at, at the feet of the cross so she's carrying the burden that Christ carried for her. She has turned her church service into an idol. It gives her meaning. 
That's what that's what that that's what occurs here. It's what we just talked about last hour. Hey, we're glad that Trump brought all these people to the point now where they're not just voting, but they're actively engaged, aware, participating in the process. And we can all see this with the with the growth of our audiences across the ideological spectrum, right? But don't it's it's vitally important we stay engaged, but is it preeminently important? No. And that see this the the grandfather made her his vehicle of redemption which means that he never really received redemption uh he just he decided to he 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 just decided to jump on a different treadmill to try to make up for his own level of regrets and remorses he goes on the devil goes on to piling on more surprises about her past life. And uh, she's an only child, but uh, her family had several, her her mother had several miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, her being at the beginning of this chapter, truth like this just destroyed her. But the more of the terrible truths she's learning in a world where she was filled uh, with so many lies there's a line that um, she's been given, and this is again so powerful considering how the devil can never, what you've said about the devil can never lie to you. She, she's been given more than knowledge. She's been given truth. I think even if the truth is a forfeit on some level, it speaks to that hole we mm-hmm. have inside of us mm-hmm. for it. And it's why so many forfeits take its place because it needs to be filled Mm -hmm. it is our deepest learning like you say on this show i just want to know the truth and at the end uh she has a um i i had a vision of how this would be played out in a movie um and one a great movie uh, that where chaos was reigning in this movie but there was this weird bizarro disco music totally out of context to the misery and the suffering and when at the end she's talking about i kind of feel like a real woman in this relationship here Mm -hmm. and i had shania twain's i feel like a woman i mean Mm -hmm. it's totally out of context to the darkness and what's she's prey there's undeniable but her yearning for the truth she's being told miscarriage death suicide Mm -hmm. but it's more truth than she's ever known it's amazing how powerful even when the truth is bad how it can the devil's setting her free for something bad but she is still being set free in a way because it as much as we hate it we need it because it's what brings meaning I found out who my biological family was. Um, I was, it was my junior year in high school. We moved back to Des Moines, Iowa for one year. Uh, We left Grand Rapids. My mom got homesick. We moved back here for one year, then ended up moving back. And I went back to my old high school, my senior year. But I had one girlfriend, my junior year in high school while I was here. She had broken up with me. Um, Running some errands, just trying to get my head, my mind off of the fact that I just got dumped. And I stop at a grocery store. And I've got to pick up toilet paper for my family. And I'm getting some things that I want. I'm going to chill out and watch some college hoops and forget about the fact I just got dumped. And I'm going through the checkout counter and the woman doing the checkout starts looking at me really funny. And she finally speaks up. She says, hey, you're one of those uh, Anania boys, aren't you? I'd never heard the name Anania in my entire life. Didn't know what it meant. 
I'm like, really? Who? What? And I mean, I, I knew that Dave Dace was not my biological dad because I got told this accidentally one day at an elementary school when my last name didn't line up, but I didn't know who the, who the actual dad was. So she goes, yeah, I mean, the Ananias were my paper boys and everything my whole life. It's an elderly woman. Clearly she's doing this job like in retirement for a supplemental income on a Saturday. And so this just blows my mind. And I make the connection. This must be what my biological family is. So I went over to my buddy's house, Mark. We start going through the phone book. We look up every Anania here in Des Moines, start calling them all. I finally get a hold of my paternal grandfather, who's a retired, or he's still actually a judge here in Polk County. And he, he, he says, who do you think you are? And he starts calling, I'm a mother effer, every name you could think of in the book. Now, of course, I was raised by Dave Day, so I already heard this 10 million times. So I was on, this didn't like disappoint me or anything. I'm like, I, it was like being on MSNBC. When he got done with that, I'm like, hey, fine. Hey, I just need to know, are you my granddad? That's, I mean, I, that, I'd been called all those names already. I didn't care. But he starts cussing me up and down, one side down the other for bringing up, which I, did, I found out later, later on, he's the reason that this was was kept was suppressed that he basically bought my grandmother off to never bring it up because i was a shame basically on their family and i didn't know this at the time i'm just trying i need to know like ray i need to know the truth why because the truth is what brings us meaning that's why it it it, it, it and that meaning is what gives us purpose and that purpose is what brings us fulfillment she doesn't have any of those things. He's providing them to her right now in his own twisted, deceptive, black-stained, hearted way. I mean, what a game that was being played here because he has to tell her the truth in order to get what he wants. But the truth is also the thing that sets us free. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is there's a lot of tension in what's going on mm-hmm. here. He's got he's to walk a tightrope here. Yeah. No question about it. You're right. Good stuff. We'll come back, play three non-political questions next. Almost, not quite, saving it for lunch today, one of my favorite times of the day, is Built Bar time. You don't have to make the choice anymore between healthier and tastier food, because Built Bar will give you everything. I got a funny email from a gal today, said, I'm I'm, I'm calling BS that Built Bar is a health food. I ate, they thought they were so good, I ate the entire box in one setting, and the next day I weighed more. Well... Sounds yeah, like a you problem. Yeah, the, yeah. She was. I know what she was trying to say. I can't put the. They're too good. I can't put them down. All right, uh, but they are really, really good. Uh, brand new flavors: uh, dark chocolate covered chocolate chip cookie dough. I mean, is insanely good. The uh, the coconut brownie chunk one. I let you try one of those. That's insanely good. It's for real. I mean, this this. I'm telling you, best protein bar you've ever had. Better than some of the candy bars you've had. And a lot healthier. 150 calories, uh, three to five grams of sugar carbs in every bar, up to 20 grams of protein in every bar as well. So whether it is 
low sugar, low fat, low cal, low carb, whatever health style, health lifestyle you are pursuing right now, Built Bar is going to fit in. And you can get 20% off your first or your next. If you've tried it before and you want to come back again for seconds, your next order as well. When you use my name, Dace, as the promo code, D-E-A-C-E. When you go to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T, BuiltBar.com, over 20 flavors now, all of them covered in real chocolate, all of them absolutely delicious. BuiltBar.com, promo code DACE. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? A question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, because we need a break from the demise and fall of Western civilization. It is three non-political questions here on the Steve Day Show. We'll start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Question number one, what's the weirdest dream you've ever had? Maybe that's not a good place to start. I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead. Because I don't remember a lot of dreams, so i got to think about this one. Uh... Well, because I've had a dream that is by far and away my favorite dream ever, in biblically speaking, if God speaking in dreams, um, I'm going to pay homage. It, it, I'm, I definitely had weirder. It's it, This is whatever the definition of weird is at the time. But after my mom died I, I and i may have mentioned this on the show before i, I had a dream relatively close to it happening so we, i don't know if it was a couple weeks i don't know if it was a couple months but it was you're, you're immediately in the shadow of that and i had a, the most real dream i've ever had walking down a busy sidewalk uh filled with uh, people speaking about a return to normalcy i can't tell you i i, I see large crowds i i just want that I want to be surrounded. That the state fair, whatever, surround me with people. I, I want. This, it. I'm, I might go to the state know, fair this year. I know. Just that, right, what does that tell you? What a beautiful and sight. Same. Yeah. Okay. What a beautiful same. sight. But I'm walking down a sidewalk full of people, and and suddenly look for a start right now. Millions of people thought they heard a trumpet when they when they mm-hmm. when I just admitted I, I might go to the state I fair know. if they open it this <laughs> year. I know. See, okay. look at what I'm inspiring miracles. Yep. Yep. But there's it's my mom. And we just we just pause and look at each other, and she doesn't say anything. And it's clear that some the the, the rules of this is that no word can be exchanged at, at all. And she just looks at me with a smile, embraces me, smiles at me again, and keeps walking on. And I wake up, and I I, I was weeping. But it was I again. It's as real as anything I've ever known in real life. Any other dream I've ever had, weird or otherwise. So anytime you get a chance to Jesus juke on this show, I do. So weird for me is that dream because I, it it's salvation to me. I I'm struggling with this man because I don't have, I don't I don't remember a lot of dreams. So I'm I'm really struggling with this and. I'm sure I had a lot of weird dreams as a teenager that it's probably a good thing I can't remember because I probably nobody would want me to retell them anyway. Um, 
Uh, you have one because I'm struggling with this. I, I need another minute. I may not even come up with anything. I don't know. Probably the most poignant dream in the last few years that's really, really like etched in my mind. Because I remember dreams temporarily for maybe a morning, and then I forget all about them. I com- completely forget about them. Uh, was I was sitting in, I think it was maybe this room. Anyway, I was sitting at this desk. And boy, I was like, I was editing some video and what I was doing was I was about to own somebody in video form. Really, really. I was just being very vicious with this, something I was putting together digitally wise. And then my nostrils filled and filled with this ridiculous stench, just a terrible, terrible, terrible smell. I woke me up and I swear that even awake, I smelled it. And uh, and I don't know what the purpose, the meaning, what uh, of the dream was. I don't know. That was the weirdest dream that I, though that I think I've had, at least in recent memory. I I mean I, I can remember a couple times I've had dreams where I'm either uh, uh, a star athlete or coach of a team, but I don't remember what happened or why it mattered or was prudent. I'm just I'm not a big dream remember guy. You're not a dreamer. <laughs> if I am, I just, my wife will tell you that too. I don't, she can probably count on one hand in 25 years. How many times I, you may say that the next. Steve is yeah, not a dreamer. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, question two, aside from sports and live programming, what was the last TV show that was appointment viewing for you? And I mean, broadcast terrestrial TV. All right. So it couldn't have been something on Netflix or anything like, like, like nope. that. Okay. Uh, the Flash, probably. And then the kids discovered that the like 48 hours after the season ends, the whole thing ends up on Netflix. So why? So now we just wait for the season end and just it pops up on Netflix and we just watch it all together and binge it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Flash, the Grant Gustin Flash show, I would say, for me, probably was the last broadcast show. Um, yeah. I think it was the, I think it's the flash. I didn't, I had to catch up. Now the Superman and Lois show that's about to debut next week looks really good. I'm going to watch that when it debuts on the CW. I'm going to watch that. looks good. Uh, I didn't start with the show immediately, but, uh, by the time I binged, uh, the first two seasons the, the third season, uh, I watched in real time and that's uh, Yellowstone. So I've got this, what the paramount network paramount one of these network, networks yeah. <clears throat> on on tv on my dvr just ran like a marathon probably because a new season's about to come out and i just recorded them all because i've heard so much about this show that uh amy and i are going to try it here soon do you think i would like it or not it's got a high body count okay yeah, see, but uh, I want. It's not bad. As I say that we're in a person. I just you sweaty. often, you often think that. Gosh, I'm terrible. Some of the most compelling storylines to me. But do are, they all deserve it? That's if it's okay if they all deserve it. Uh, uh, yeah, there's okay. a lot of deserving in there, yeah, but it, deserve it. It's I think you might think it's slow, and I just don't care about that. You often say that about things that I find, like about um, you did this with House of Cards. At first, I I think you might have a House of Cards issue with this, okay. where you like some of it, but not all of it. I thought and the you, first couple of seasons of House of Cards are some of the you know, best I, written television then, I've ever yeah, seen. Then I gave up And then on it just it really deteriorated from that point forward. Well, 
Yeah. It, it was so weird. It Especially got, the first season was masterful. Oh, yeah. But then they decided it was just going to be like a... Like a a bizarre world West Wing or something like they mm-hmm. they had it exactly right. What what happens if the devil is in Congress basically? And then they just kind of went normal political machinations and didn't they didn't go there anymore. That's what their problem was. I think they forgot who they were. We we've got HBO Max, or maybe it was too close to being a documentary and somebody yeah. Said. Like we we tried watching the new Perry Mason update. There is one. It's like the, it's like a prequel hated every character we, we we didn't make it past one episode just hate we made it through the first episode just hated everybody so we tapped out um right now last night we watched the first two episodes because we heard a lot about this it was um um the about the hotel cecil in la oh, documentary yeah. on mm-hmm. netflix that's actually really good so it's a four episode thing we watched the first two and the first two were really good Really eerie. If you like true crime stuff, this one's really creepy. Okay. So, but in terms of over the air, for me, it'd be The Flash, but I'm going to watch the new Superman show next week. Aaron, uh, sorry. Uh, he's Yellowstone. What's yes. yours? Uh, for me, I mean, I think the last time, like an actual TV show, not live programming, which is which is what this was, probably the final season of Breaking Bad, just because I was so invested in it and that at that point i didn't want to wait for it to come out on demand on netflix mm-hmm. or anything but the last season of breaking bad there are only really a few shows that i think warrant any more appointment viewing it used to be of course everything was appointment viewing because you yeah. didn't have any other choice right uh but those those are a few i've never shows. never watched breaking bad would i like it you know who loves that show who's that vanderplatz does yeah he loved that show um well actually the video you sent me this morning mentions breaking bad mentions breaking bad yeah, I think it did. yeah. It, it's like watching a, a train wreck you need to take it in doses but it's uh, each episode for the most part is is pretty cathartic uh question number three if you were the general manager of your favorite nfl team what trade would you try to make today to transform your team into a contender all right i want to make sure i get i answer exactly what you asked repeat it for me so if you were the general manager of your favorite nfl team so that'd be the lions for you the packers mm-hmm. for todd chiefs for me what trade would you try to make today to transform your team into a contender i, I actually think my team already did it um i think they made one of the best trades in the nfl since the herschel walker trade um, but, but since that one's off the table, I guess the other trade that I would make is I would go to a team, uh, like a Miami dolphins, or even, I wouldn't care about in my division at this point. So your green Bay Packers, I mean, what, who, what would put the green Bay Packers over the top to me, a player like a Kenny Galladay paired with the other receiver you have makes that a virtually impossible offense to stop. I would take Kenny Galladay, our star receiver, who led the NFL in touchdowns in 2019. I I would pedal him to a Miami with a with a young Tua, uh, Houston with a Deshaun, make the case that that's how we're going to keep you, is who's a weapon or so, who, who, who's, a, who's got a big-time quarterback or a big-time quarterback prospect that needs a, another or a premier in the case of like a Miami or a Houston, a premier weapon. That's what I would do. I, our wide receiver core, it was clearly better than most people gave it credit for. I, I mean, we've got 
Scanlon. We got some guys who can fly. And in the hands of a guy like Aaron Rodgers, it, I think the whole thing about not getting a receiver in last year's draft and all the controversy. I don't think I don't think that was really the problem, not getting a receiver. But if that's what it takes, you know, Aaron Rodgers is just a man child in many respects in terms of his emotional needs we have a embarrassment of richards right now our number two pick last year in that controversial draft was that running back uh, dylan i mean he's he looks like he's a gamer we've got like three guys who can who could be starters on the right team i would trade one of them if it's a receiver that aaron desperately needs to be happy i would do that okay but it would have to be to a team that whose running game is struggling because they don't have that guy. I would trade probably a, um, a high round draft pick and maybe maybe one of the second tier receivers on the team for one of the one of the maybe top 10 interior linemen in the league. I mean, you can name Zach Martin, Jason Kill. I don't know if any of those guys are actually free agents or if they are interested in being traded, but something in the interior line. I mean, Kansas City's starting tackles are decent, um, but their interior line, I mean, all year, all year, right up the middle, uh, it seemed like uh, Mahomes was able to get pressure. It's just that you don't notice that because most of the most of the year, uh, the receivers were able to get open uh, and what they weren't playing the Tampa Bay uh, defense. So that's it. So we all know the detrimental impact of too much screen time for our kids, whether it's the actual content that they're being exposed to or the shortening of attention spans, loss of creativity. We need better ways for our children and grandchildren to use that downtime. That's why I want to tell you about Annie's Kit Clubs. They've got the perfect subscription box for both boys and girls. They have a young woodworkers kit club, a monthly subscription that puts real tools into your boys' hands uh, so that they will receive an all-in-one woodworking kit each and every month with the materials and tools he needs to make an awesome woodworking project with minimal supervision. And for her, uh, there's Annie's Creative Girls Club, which sends two fun craft projects each month, or projects, I should say in English, complete with easy-to-follow instructions that will kickstart her creativity through painting, beading, and more. Help your kids develop actual skills, master real-world building, or new crafting techniques that also will express their creativity. Makes for a great gift. Go to Annie's Kit Clubs, A-N-N-I-E, annieskitclubs.com slash Steve, annieskitclubs.com slash Steve. When you do, save 75% off your first shipment. That's a massive discount at annieskitclubs.com slash Steve. Did you come back to me as I was rubbing my nose there? I'm so sorry. It's all right. It was not intentional. It's a Seinfeld episode, but I have this hair in my nose. I've not been able to pluck it out. I've tried it three consecutive commercial breaks and so it's really making my nose itch i understand so, that's all right i i it, normally i'd be mad but i saw that you really felt bad about it so yeah it's okay. I, I, it was, that was not intentional well, one last it's thing right. aaron in the name of keeping it real iowa over wisconsin by 12 tonight you know wisconsin actually opened up as a half point favorite yeah, which means I'm probably going to try to find an alternate point spread because that doesn't make any no. any sense here's here's what i need to know is cj frederick playing see and that Totally different team. I agree. If CJ Frederick plays, Iowa can put three guys on the floor. They can get their own offense. Frederick, yep. um, or some, or, or can create offense when you give them the ball. Frederick Garza can't dribble the ball down the court himself. So Frederick Garza and uh, and Wieskamp. All right, take Frederick away, and it's an easier, still not an easy team to defend, but an easier team to defend. 
I just don't know where your team is at psychologically either. Mm-hmm. See, this game is not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing this game tonight. I don't know if Frederick is playing. I don't know where y'all are at psychologically, right? Nope. Yeah. It's going to be a fun, fun game to watch though because of that. Yeah. Right? That'll do it for today's show. We're going to stick around and do the overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.